0: award-winning electric violinist and off-Broadway star. She honed her skills touring the world, co-writing songs for Disney, and several stage musical productions. Her work has won several awards. She now performs as a solo artist in New York with her female empowerment musical, Ernest Shackleton Loves Me. Val takes the stage presenting her Peak Aliveness keynote series and workshops for organizations nationwide. So take us back, take us back to what brought you to where you are today? Cause the inspired women community where they get most inspired is not the, the accolades and all the amazingness, which it is amazing. I mean, that's a lot. That's, that's awesome. But how did you get to what was like the, the struggles? What were, you know, the mistakes, the failures that brought you to where you are today?
1: Thank you for asking, because I agree. I think it's our trials and tribulations that really shape us in ways that just smooth sailing doesn't necessarily do. And um, so let me say, let me start with a moment that I had when I was touring as a side musician playing violin and singing with Cyndi Lauper. Wow. It was a wonderful formative experience for me. And what she did on tour was, she would get on the mic and she would talk to the audience and she would say, you know, "Hey, everybody, this is Valerie." She's I could just classic. hear her in my head saying this too. <laughs> yes. In her, she would always say, "I speak the Queen's English." You know, what I'm, <laughs> I'm from Queens. And uh, and she said, yeah, "Valerie plays very polite, very proper." I want her to play like a barbarian, (laughs) and she shoved me down to the front of the stage, and I remember looking out to the audience of 20,000 people, and I raised my bow, and I, for some reason, did not worry about what I was going to play. I didn't try to be perfect. I just went with it, and I had this moment of just full connection and creativity and alignment. And I felt so alive and so amazing. And the response from the audience was huge. It was like this wave of energy. And it was was so beautiful. And so then as we went on with the tour, she would do the same thing, same intro every night and push me out there, except I wouldn't always feel that incredible feeling of connection. And I started wondering, you know, why not? Why don't I feel that way every time? What is it? And you know, isn't that what we all want? Like we want to feel that deep connection and freedom when we're, um, when we're put into any sort of stressful situation. And so I remembered that I learned really not to trust myself when I was six years old. Mm. And when I went into my new school, I was completely open and exuberant and I started hugging everybody in sight. And I was told, Nope, don't do that. That's too much. And so I learned what the rules were, you know, I, I followed them. I learned you're supposed to keep your hands to yourself. You're supposed to fill in your little check boxes and take your tests and get the gold star. And I was really good at that. And that became my identity and my way of life. You know, being cautious and following the rules and, you know, not wanting to make mistakes, not wanting to say the wrong thing. And so I ended up saying very little Mm. and that worked really well for me. Uh, I got sort of fast-forwarded through school. Um, that worked in classical music as well, uh, being very obedient, doing what you're, what you're supposed to. And I became really such a rule follower that by the time I got all the way to college, my big active rebellion was joining the army.
0: Really? Yes. <laughs>
1: I know you're also associated with the military. My husband's in
0: the Navy, so, yes. Yeah.
1: So, you know, that's, a, that's even more rule following. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I, I was in the ROTC program. So as a cadet, what I had to do was not only learn how to take orders, which I was, I was quite good at that, mm-hmm. but I also had to learn how to give orders and be a leader. And mm-hmm. that was super, super hard for me and it was not something that came naturally it wasn't something that you know that you do as a as a nice girl you know right. <laughs> you know give, giving orders to all the cute boys in my class that I wanted to impress you know and um but i got i got good enough at it to pass and you know i mean they they had to take me out back for remedial command voice training because <laughs> i was not good at it they didn't believe me when i t- said attention um but i but i did pass and I found that that made me a better singer and also a better musician. And so the ability to stand up for myself a little bit more um, and also to be physically strong, like got me in shape for the first time, um, made it easier for me um, as I was approaching the wilds of the music business and I was starting to write my own songs and play electric violin instead of acoustic violin, and really try to like step out of those boundaries. And so the next 20 years or so were sort of a blur of doing as much as possible, achieving as much as possible yes. uh, in, in uh, the music business, um, still having those self-trust issues, um, and for uh, th- those two decades, um, I was doing everything with my husband and collaborator. And we did everything from being an indie band and go on the college circuit and the folk circuit. And we were playing 150 gigs a year, playing in Unitarian church basements. Oh. I was going on the road you know, as a side musician with Cindy Lauper and then Joe Jackson, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. We were writing for Disney, writing musicals, all this stuff. And it wasn't until, uh, and I know this is a very long answer to your one question. No, you're good. It wasn't until uh, 2014 when we were in the midst of writing our most ambitious stage musical to date, which uh, was a two person musical called Ernest Shackleton Loves Loves Me. And we were writing about this incredible. True story. Okay, the, uh, Ernest Shackleton was an explorer who, in 1914, took 27 men to the Antarctic. Oh, I've heard about this. Yes. But keep yes. going for my audience
0: He's, who hasn't. Yes, yes. He's <laughs> sort of
1: in the general uh, uh, ethos these days. Um, but there are a lot of people, especially in the United States, who have not heard about him. Um, and when, I didn't hear about him until I, was, uh, until I went to a museum and saw an exhibit about him. And I was yeah. shocked. Um, but what happened was he. And his men got within one hundred miles of their destination um, in uh, to Antarctica when their ship got trapped by the ice and couldn 't move for seven months, so they decided mm-hmm. to wait it out till the spring when the spring rolled around, the ice did not melt instead it c- buckled and crushed the ship, destroyed the ship, and it sank, leaving them on the edge of the planet with no hope of rescue. It was World War I had just started and Over the next two and a half years, it was the brilliant leadership and relentless optimism of Ernest Shackleton, including his incredible belief in the power of music and bringing the banjo along as they trudged through the ice. Um, He was able to save every single life. So it was this incredible story of heroism and optimism. He really believed that optimism was a form of moral courage Mm -hmm. and So we're working on this show, and in the show, uh, we're making it a two-person musical. So there's one guy who's going to play Shackleton and all the male characters, and my character is a modern woman, very much like me, an electric violin playing composer with a baby, and she's overwhelmed by life, feels like she needs a man, and she conjures Shackleton and he comes through her refrigerator, they have an incredible adventure together, they save all the men, Uh, it's triumphant, and then he leaves her. And the whole point really of his existence in the show is to awaken her to her own empowerment, her own ability to trust herself. And so she does, and she realizes she can be her own Ernest Shackleton, she can provide for herself and her baby, and it's this sort of beautiful female empowerment manifesto. So as we are creating this piece, which is going to go to New York and premiere off Broadway, uh, all of a sudden, my husband uh, and partner of 22 years comes to me one day and tells me he's fallen in love with one of our best friends and he doesn't want to be married to me anymore. (gasps) No. Yeah. (laughs) And it felt like my life was completely over. And so I, I felt like I had gone from Someone who learned how not to trust myself when I was little, um, mm. to brief moments, including that moment that I had with Cindy Lauper, of everything being in alignment and feeling free and connected and worthy, and everything was great. And then those moments would disappear again, and they were sort of rare and uh, hard to find in the blur of activity and everyday life and, and tasks and <laughs> trying to make ends meet as a musician and blah, 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 blah. And it wasn't really until everything fell apart, my whole life structure, my husband, my writing partner, uh, everything that I thought was steady and, and rock solid was gone. And all of a sudden, not only was my marriage over and my writing partnership was over, but this show was moving forward and I was going to be in it I was going to be writing it without my partner and I had trouble trusting myself to do that I was so used to running everything by my husband I was I w- I realized I had always been craving and wanting his approval mm. and validation from him and so I had to reckon with that and realize that the shame of that, the vulnerability of that, and learn how to move forward. So, so I did. You know, There was no choice. This was happening. And there were a lot of other people depending on me. This was a million-dollar production, very visible. And lucky for me, I wasn't alone at all. Right? Theater is highly collaborative. There was a wonderful director and a book writer, an amazing team to work with. Um, but I still had to generate ideas and trust my instincts, which were pretty shaky. And so the process of doing that really showed me, once again, how to trust myself just because I had to do it. And I realized when we were in performance of this show, and we were at the climactic moment of the story, which is when Ernest Shackleton and my character are standing at the top of a mountain peak, and we are looking over, and we finally find civilization. After two years, we hear this whistle and that means that there are human beings and there's a whaling station and we're saved and we know we're going to survive. And it's this incredible, joyful moment. And that feeling, that aliveness, that palpable joy was so wonderful and so huge and so consistent. It happened every single night. That we did this. And I realized that, oh, that's that feeling, that rare that peak aliveness feeling that I had long ago with Cindy Lauper. And you know, way before I learned to stop hugging people, you know, <laughs> yeah. all that. Like, oh, there's that sense of freedom again. And what I realized as this was all sort of coming together, as I'm standing you know, on the mountain peak telling this incredible story of optimism and feeling like I'm, I'm able to reinvent myself uh, without my partner again, it's like, oh, okay, it's the creative process. It's being fully present in the moment and fully present in your body. It's facing into your fears. It's feeling like you're part of something larger than yourself which is what that show felt like. And when you're doing it right, it also is joyful. It's fun. And the word peak came into my head. I was standing on the top of this mountain peak. I was feeling a peak feeling. And I was like, oh, that's an acronym. (laughs) P stands for presence. E stands for edge, going right to the edge of your comfort zone. A stands for awe, which is that feeling of, of connection and being something, uh, part of something larger. And K is kick, getting a kick out of something, having enthusiasm and also kicking yourself in the ass <laughs> 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 to, to go where you want to go and not, and not be, um, stopped by your fear. Um, it was, it, it's hard for me to explain how difficult it was for me to go forward um, as a, an individual person when I had been, I had defined myself so much as being part of a partnership, both in life and also in my career. And, uh, and so that sort of shook me loose into that realization. And so because of that experience, um, I, after the show, that production closed, I, I, went home and started writing my musical keynote. I was like, Oh, this is it peak. I have to tell people about peak. (laughs) And so that is what I'm doing here. That's what I'm doing when I, I perform my, uh, it's it's like a Ted talk with music basically. Oh, that sounds like fun yeah and uh and and that's what i'm i'm on about uh, i 'm working with people now about this uh, and it's it's just it's a super fun addition to my life and I feel like it 's really a very meaningful thing to be to be talking about in this world, especially with women inspired women
0: yes well i wonderfully like i felt like your story took me i 'm like Oh yeah, I was that six-year-old too. Like I was totally like the <laughs> hugger. I still yeah. am a hugger, but forever I wasn't a hugger because I just felt like I couldn't be a hugger because it wasn't acceptable to be like that affectionate. But yeah. now I'm just like, I hug everybody. <laughs> okay. But like, so you you took me yeah, up and good. then I went down yeah. and then I went up. And then I was like, oh, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> yes. This is great. I love it. That was oh, awesome. good. That was amazing. Thank I, you. I mean, I know it's real, you know, like, I'm like, I'm talking like it's a, a movie. It's real life. But like, it's so inspirational to see how much you have, you have been able to see the different things that have contributed to how you were feeling and how disconnected you were feeling. Yeah. And, you know, the the loss of your marriage and your collaborator, that, that had to have been really tough. I mean, cause like you said, that's, that's a part of like who you are. I think now with my husband, I'm like, oh, what would happen if something happened between us? Like, because he's just such an integral part. Like when you're married long enough, they're an, an integral part of your, your every day. And, and you had an additional edge because you guys work together. What helped you get yeah. through that and continue and, and make the Ernest Shackleton loves me? Like how did, what helped you transition through that?
1: Uh, well there's nothing like necessity it was was sort of that ship was sailing and I just had to make sure I was on it and and contributing to it Um, when you say it's sort of like a a movie it sort of felt like that for a while it felt like I was watching this crazy the series of events happen that this couldn't be me. That this, <laughs> this is happening to somebody else, right? Um, but it, it also became so sort of meta because when we first started writing the show, the character that we wrote for me uh, was a single mom mm-hmm. trying to fend for herself with a baby, but I wasn't a single mom, right? So it was right. like we wrote it and then I, all of a sudden I was that, all of a sudden, I became what that character was. And the, the, part of the, the hardest parts of, of that were me trying to write lyrics for the character, feeling like I was living as that character when I felt mm-hmm. like I was, when I was being more fearful in my own life. right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm trying to write empowering lyrics for her, then I have to sort of step into that myself. So it was it was almost like therapy as part of the work, which led me also to to, uh, to feel, and I continue to feel this way, that the, that the antidote to disconnection and depression and feelings of insecurity and un- unworthiness are creativity. It is the creative process. Like if you can get yourself into that mode, and I believe very fully that we all are Creative. There are a lot of people who say, "Oh, I'm not. I'm not a creative person." Well, yes, yes, you are. I think mm-hmm. humans are naturally so, and so part of what I now teach and um, and talk about uh, and and play music about constantly is is that getting in touch with that creative process. And the big, the biggest part of that is presence.
0: I agree. Uh, I agree that everybody's creative in their own way. I think we overthink it. Like we think that we have to be a musician or we have to be an artist to be creative, but I, you can be creative in all sorts of kind of things. You know, I'm creative with my podcast. You know, I'm always putting things out there and stuff. It's always, it's always challenging me. And it's an amazing thing. And, and I mean, I'm going to school to be a psychologist. So there's actual art therapy, you know, and that, that can be very helpful. Not just for children. People think art therapy and they think children. Actually, there's art therapy for adults because it does help you get outside your head and be able to work through things in a different way because a lot of times people just stay there inside their head and, and can't
1: get out of it. Exactly, and I think that that even happens more to us as we are older and so many of us have gone through, um, I don't know if you, if you uh, listen to or, or read Brene Brown's work. I love she- her. I love her too. <laughs> she, she talks about that creativity shaming that mm. some people go through where they're told by some you know, dismissive teacher um, that their painting of a horse wasn't right or whatever it was right. or they don't have a good singing voice and then they sort of shut down forever more about their feelings of their own artistic expression. So I love the idea of art therapy for grownups. ups. Um, maybe even more than for kids.
0: I, I tell people all the time that um so I was diagnosed with clinical depression and one of the things that when I start to feel that slide is one of the first things I do, I turn on music and I dance and sing around my house. I mean, because it doesn't always work, but nine times out of ten, it helps like just break that that funk I'm in and and so I don't go there anymore. And I, I mean I do not have a great singing voice. I don't care. I turn that music up and I sing on top of my lungs and it's
1: so yeah. it feels so good. Yes. Good for you. I love that. And, and, and I think we're all singers, right? Again, I do not believe that there are people who cannot sing or that are completely tone deaf or will never be able to do that. I, I just don't believe that at all. Um, and I love to get people singing in, in my audiences. I get them up. I get them all singing and, and doing you know, silly moves. And it's great. It's, like, it's the op. It is. It, it's such a great antidote to feeling bad is just moving things through your body. Um, and singing is a wonderful way to do that. And it helps
0: free that inner child, right? I feel like most of us, when we were little, somebody at some point in time shut that inner child up. Like for something, it could have been something like innocuous. Like they didn't even mean to do what they did, but whatever they did, it shut that inner child up. But when you get in that like creativity mode, that inner child comes out and it's like, I'm here. Look at me. This is awesome. (laughs)
1: Yes. Yes yes, yes, yes.
0: Do you feel like that when you're, you're performing that your inner child just comes out and is like, hey, what's up?
1: I do when I'm able to really access those moments, like, like the, that, that feeling that I talked about of being sort of peak alive. If I can get to that, then yes. If there's no self-consciousness at all, and uh and my attention is not on whether i'm doing a good job or how i sound or you know what i look like or blah 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 blah. blah. then yes then it's childish childlike wonder it's connected it's fun um, and it feels like a, a wonderful sort of feedback loop of energy
0: and uh, you probably yeah. are at your best at that point in time like people in the audience when you're at your peak we probably are probably like holy crap, what just happened? Like That's amazing. And even though you may not realize it, but at that moment, it's just like you are so in alignment with what you're doing that it just, anytime you see somebody that's, that's performing or doing something and you can just tell that that's the thing, like, and they're right there in that moment, mm-hmm. you just feel that energy and you're like, oh, this just makes me so happy. This is fantastic.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, definitely the more if you see somebody that is taking true joy in what they're doing and if it's imperfect if they make a mistake they don't they don't they not only don't show it to you but they are able to instantly forgive themselves they're able to like enjoy it (laughs) one of uh one of my favorite things is um Uh, My father, who's a jazz pianist, told me my whole life that in music you have to do that. You have to instantly forgive yourself if you make a mistake and move forward. Um, And then when I played in my band, the drummer in my band took it even further. And it was not only forgive yourself, but actually celebrate the mistake. So wrong and strong, right? So he, uh, in, in improv, if he would play a, quote, you know, wrong note, unquote, his idea was to play it again. He's like, just repeat it. And that way people think that's what you meant to do in the first place. (laughs) I love that that so much because it's the opposite of approval seeking. It's not like, am I okay? Am I doing this all right? You know, do you approve of me? It's like, no, it's badass. It's like, here I am. Oh, you think that's wrong? Here it is again. (laughs) Enjoy. (laughs) So it's like this fun, mischievous, playful way of giving a gift of the energy that you're putting out.
0: And I like the fact that you said mischievous, right? So when I was in sixth grade, when I I was in sixth grade, my sixth grade teacher was like, it is not mischievous. It is mischievous. And she even brought it up in the dictionary. And I mean, that was like a long time ago, but I will never forget it in my entire life.
1: Thank you. You are one of the only people I know that pronounces it that way. Everybody corrects me they're like, oh, you mean mischievous? Uh, no. <laughs> it's mischievous. There's no I there.
0: <laughs> yes. No, she told us. And she even brought up the dictionary and she's like, look how it is spelled, like how yeah. the pronunciation is spelled out or phonetically, is that what it's, it's called? Mm-hmm. And, and so she was like, it is not mischievous. It's mischievous. Yeah, and so I, forever, like, I mean, like I said, that was a long time ago, but I will never forget it. Because I mean, <laughs> no, she was one of my favorite teachers. Ironically, her name was Mrs. Hall, and now I'm Mrs. Hall, so that was very ironic. But oh, those 100%. lessons just kind of like stick with you. You know, when you have somebody there that can teach you amazing things, and and that's what you're doing right now is teaching people oh, how awesome that it is to be creative and that you don't have to be what you think you have to be, that you have have to be like this amazing artist or this amazing singer or what society deems amazing um, is that you can just be you and do the thing. So how do people find that peak? How do people, how do people do it? What's the process? Yeah. Like how do they find it? Like what are some tips you have that for people who are like, I want to feel that amazing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the first thing that I always talk about, and um, this is actually something I do backstage before every performance, is just a presencing, grounding ritual. Like first to get yourself present in your body fully. And so if you start by imagining that your feet, which are securely on the ground, um, have roots coming out of them through the ground that go down and out and they spread. And it's like 10 feet, 20 feet, 50 feet down into the earth. And so that you are secure and sturdy and you're still flexible, but nobody is going to knock you off where you are. And so then from there, imagine that you are simultaneously tall, actually taller than you normally stand, and that there's a string pulling up from the crown of your head so that you are your most majestic and tall self. So then from there, imagine that your energy comes out from every direction, at least two feet, two feet in the front, two feet on the sides, two feet in the back, and you're in this sort of bubble of energy emanating from you so that you're larger than your physical body. Put your hands on your heart, And then imagine that everything you want to communicate to the world comes directly out from there, from your heart, and radiates out toward the world. And then the last thing that I do is take deep breaths from my belly and make sure they're really slow and deep, grounding so that I feel rooted and tall and energetically large and radiant from the heart, and I take these deep breaths. And that makes me feel ready. And that I'm not living in... Uh, I, I'm there in my body, and I'm also there in the moment. And so I'm ready for whatever comes next. Right? So once you put yourself in a state of presence, then you're ready to go on to the next part, which is E, E. Edge to face into your fears, so you take your you know your self in a ready position basically, and then you can go right to the edge of what is comfortable and challenge yourself a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. So there are many. I mean, there are many practices to to do this, and there I, I actually have a um, a boot camp program, peak aliveness boot camp, in which we we do uh, all these presencing and edge and then awe and then uh, kick tactics
0: and we're going to be linking yeah. all of your links up in the show notes so if anybody's interested they can go and check it out and get part of that boot camp so they awesome. can learn how to be in the peak
1: yes and it's not, it, although I am a former army, army lieutenant, it is not a break you down <laughs> and call you names uh, sort of boot camp. It is a, um, I noticed, uh, uh, like you, you uh, I think you describe yourself as, as an encourager mm-hmm. on your website. Yes, yeah. I, am, I am also an encourager. I, uh, I'm very positive and uh, it's really about connection and creativity and fun really that's what peak is all about. It's about be, you know being present and ready to connect with other human beings and with your own uh, ability to create.
0: Yes. That's why I call myself a women's empowerment coach. Cause I'm yeah. like, I am not one of those people that are going to break you down and build you up. I want to like shine a light on those, those amazing attributes of you so that you can just be your best self. And that's, that's why I want to be a therapist when I grow up. Cause that's that seems to be like the barrier to entry, right? When people are at that low point in their life and they don't feel like they are their best selves and they maybe don't feel like they're enough, enough maybe hopeless or helpless, where are they going to go? They're going to look for a therapist. And so that to me is like my doorway that I can help people become their best selves. So that's my little bit about me, but yes. Yeah, so, that is
1: beautiful. I, I love,
0: love that. I love how you said the energy because mm-hmm. science has actually proven that we have an energy field. I think they said it's like up to eight feet around us. And that's why when people are interacting, sometimes okay. you get like this vibe from them because literally your energetic field and somebody else's energetic field are co-mingling. And so you can actually sense things. Some are more high, some people are more highly sensitive than other people, but that's mm-hmm. that's why you get a vibe from other people. So I love that you said that to imagine that energy field around you.
1: Yeah. I, well, I think that's a really important thing to remember because when we feel insecure and we're seeking approval from outside, we tend to shrink energetically. Yeah. And we're not projecting the luminous nature of ourselves, the, you know, the radiance that we naturally possess. We sort of uh, hide it and, and, and obfuscate it because we feel, we feel small. Right. And uh, I've just had I've had enough practice in going out on on stage and being able to, you know, even if I didn't feel great, sort of pretending it and then it works its magic on you. You know, it's, it's sort of like that, you know, Amy Cuddy power poses or, right. you know, the, the physiology of putting a pencil in your teeth and just making a smile motion. By holding a pencil in your teeth, even if you f- don't feel great, it can actually make your mood lift because you're doing that with your body. So right.
0: yeah. yeah, how you yeah. present your body to the world mm-hmm. says a lot of things. That's why they say, I was listening to one podcast episode. I don't remember what podcast. I have a podcast addiction. I listened to like 30 of them. <laughs> it's but when you walk through a door, you should try to stand up straight, put mm-hmm. your shoulders back, you know, kind of have that confident pose when you're walking through a doorway. So like if you're going to a party or something like that, they say that if you try to, if you do that with your body, you're more likely to feel confident walking into that room than if you're just kind of slumped over and not standing up straight and your spine's kind of like, you know, a little bent, you're not as confident
1: exactly exactly right and i th- i love the idea of taking up space in that way uh especially uh, i don't know how tall you are i'm sort of a, a petite i'm five, five foot, yeah i'm 5'3 and um when i decide that i'm going to take up more space uh i find that i am more effusive i'm funnier <laughs> yeah like, like my whole everything sort of goes along with that decision to present oneself that way i think Exactly. Uh, and it's uh, uh, another reference to the, to the military that I think is important to make this distinction. It's, re- it's not about um, just holding yourself up and being sort of at attention. It's really like a, it's like a more expansive, relaxed stature. Yes. You know, of sort of you know, a- allowing breath to fill your body rather than holding yourself in a certain um, rigid formation.
0: Yeah, because if you hold yourself in rigid formation too long, you'll pass out. Correct.
1: (laughs) Not really the way to be a hit at parties. I
0: actually saw it happen at a military function one time. Really? Somebody (laughs) just was standing at attention and fell out. Like, yeah, because you not to lock your knees and not to be like too rigid when you're standing (laughs) to attention because you will pass out. And one guy just like midway, they had to catch him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Poor guy. I know he was he was a youngin. Like I mean, my my husband's like been in like fifteen years. So, um, so he was a youngin, and we were just like, oh, poor guy. He didn't realize that they were serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I love how you brought that up, that even in the military, they don't really mean that you're like rigid and you're, when they say stand at attention, these guys actually can't be rigid because they literally will pass out. And so when we, like, I even say if I'm going someplace, I'm not comfortable. I try to wear the outfit I feel the best in. And, you know, I'd give myself a pep talk. I, were even going to the thing, I'll probably listen to some really like music that gets me like pumped up and feel good. All the things that I can do to help myself feel better. Cause I have social anxiety. Um, so help me feel better. Do you really? It, yeah. In a big social situation. So I'm oh, good with like okay. one-on-one or very small groups, but if I'm in like conferences and stuff, mm-hmm. I have to, Ooh, it wipes me out. I have to give myself real pep talks when I go into those kind of things. Like most people can't tell, but I, yeah, I do. And, but the, I do, I have tricks that I use to help me feel more comfortable going into those situations. Good for you. Yeah. I had to learn. I had to learn how to do it. But I, I love that you're saying this, that like we have to really get present with where we are before we can you know, present our best selves to the world because
1: you get on stage in front of what? Thousands of people? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes thousands of people. Yes. Sometimes it's harder when it's you know, only a f- few, maybe it's like an intimate gathering. Sometimes that's more nerve wracking. But yeah. yes, it it can be anywhere from you know zero. I remember we actually my band played a gig for no one once. <laughs> 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 that, was, that was quite a humbling experience. To uh, to yeah thousands, thousands of people,
0: and you yeah. have to yeah. be able to. You know, show up and and say like this is me, this is what I'm doing, and and like you said earlier, you know, not staying in that like I made a mistake, oh my gosh, and shutting down because then who would ever have you come perform ever again? <laughs> you have to be able to just keep moving forward. Um, so as we wrap up the the podcast, Val, the time goes by really fast. Um, yes, such there, a pleasure talking with you. It's it's been great. I've really enjoyed this. This has been fantastic. If there's something that you wanted to leave the audience with, whether it's one thing or a
1: collection of things, what would you want them to know? Well, let's see. We've been talking a lot about peak. And I, I, I just want to leave you with a little anecdote about Ernest Shackleton himself and how much of an icon of, of peak aliveness he really was and how we can really learn from him to this day. And I encourage anyone who has not heard about him to um, read the book Endurance. Uh, And if you also want to, you could go to broadwayhd.com and see our musical, (laughs) Ernest Shackleton Loves Me. Um, One of the wonderful things about Ernest Shackleton was his belief in the power of music and the power of fun to and play to keep them alive. And it literally really did that. And, and it's, it's such a stark reminder of how important it is to find joy. And it's so easy in our society to just sort of forget about it and become grim and uptight and think of our tasks that we have to get done um, and, and not truly prioritize play. And so they were in a situation where they had to survive the entire Antarctic winter and they had no sunlight whatsoever for, I think it was 78 days.
0: Yeah. They don't get sunlight up there for like a long
1: time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they, uh, they had costume parties and music and they would get the banjo and they would play and they would dress up and they would write songs about each other and they were kind of roasts of, uh, you know, each member of the crew would write some, a song making fun of somebody else. Yeah. And if that recipient of the song didn't like what was written about him, then they would write a worse one for him next week. <laughs> so it was this sort of good-natured, uh, mischievous, as we said, um, ridding of each other. And it was assumed that every single person was creative. Everybody was writing songs. Everybody was making up these, these lyrics and, and poems and singing. And it didn't matter if you were the meteorologist or if you were the ship's uh, uh, botanist or the navigator. It didn't matter because it was just something that everybody did. And it was assumed that this was a, a big part of, the, uh, of your life there. Um, and in fact, Shackleton chose his men partly based on whether they could do this. Um, He would have very short interviews with people and he would find out if they could sing, if they were willing to sing, and if they seemed fun. (laughs) And uh, his emphasis on that really ended up saving their lives. And I think it can save the quality of our lives too.
0: I couldn't agree more. I always tell my clients you have to schedule play every single week in your schedule because you know I work with ladies who are they're they're very motivated, but a lot of times mm-hmm. that motivation can be too much because we don't we just keep go 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 go. We don't give ourselves time to play and have fun, but that needs to be a part of it. I've actually. Being a full-time student and an entrepreneur and a podcaster and mom and all the things, wife, the things. Yes. It yes. could get very overwhelming, but every Saturday, it's my play day. My kids and I, we play games, or my husband and I, we go and have a date night, we do things. It's a no-work zone. I don't I don't work, I don't study, I don't do anything on Saturdays. It's my play day. And I think everybody really needs to take your advice to heart and and even if they can't do a whole play day, do a couple hours every single week that you're playing and you're just having fun and being creative and who cares like what it looks like. Just enjoy yourself.
1: Yes, 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 yes. I agree completely. And I didn't even realize I needed help uh, or, or practice being playful until I became a mom. And it's so obvious to me now you know being yeah. with a kid who of course prioritizes fun and humor exactly. and it's like, he's my best teacher about all of this um, so yeah the more childlike we can be the more wonder we can have which i think is part of awe and kick but those are both sort of um wonder inducing fun inducing ideas um then the better off we are well val thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. My pleasure. So nice to talk with you, Megan.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Inspired Women podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share this out with your friends and family, and join us in the Inspired Women community on Facebook. I'll catch you next week.